Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning and welcome to the Capital District's Money and Investment Program. You are listening to the Fagan Financial Report. Aaron and Dennis Fagan sitting here taking your calls at 1-800-TALK-WGY. That's 1-800-825-5949. We've got a good show planned for you today. We've got a lot of uh, to talk about interest rates. Interest rates went up. The market started to get worried. Interest rates went down. The market just started to get worried. At Thursday, the Dow was down about 400 points or so. Um, I'm worried that the 10-year Treasury had pierced 1.4, 1.3, and then gotten down to 1.24 oh, man. intraday. We'll talk a little bit about it. Actually, Dow was down 259, had been down about 400 early on, down 403. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about what interest rates mean to you as an investor. A. B. We're going to talk about risk can be defined in different ways. And everybody defines risk as loss of principle, and that's usually the way people think about it. Or a correlation to the market, too. Yeah. You know, how, exactly. how did I perform against the market, which yeah. well, we'll talk about later. We'll talk about that. Stay tuned. <laughs> Are the gains in oil behind us? You know, market beginning to fluctuate in a wild way. And also the VIX, which measures the volatility in the NASDAQ, as well as the S&P 500. But the one measures the volatility in the NASDAQ was up on Friday despite the rally in the NASDAQ. Perhaps it's the rhetoric from the Biden administration talking about competition, regulation of big tech, healthcare, and a variety of other areas. So we've got a lot to talk about, but I think the overriding thing, Eric, overriding factor is the S&P, the Dow, the NASDAQ, and the U.S. total market index all closed at record highs this past Friday, July 9th, just like they did Friday, July 2nd. Modest fractional gains for the markets this past week. But nonetheless, if they closed at a high on July 2nd and they had modest fractional gains, that means they all closed at a high on July 9th. Uh, transport's still struggling. Mid-cap's still struggling. And that's, you know, I, I mean, my first thought here, too, was, you know, just thinking about myself is I'd like to know. So they say what? The, the, the market's at all-time highs 7% of every single day or something. What was I just yeah. saying? 7% of the time the market closed at all-time highs. Yeah, at all-time highs. And I would like to know, since I've been working here, what the market has closed at at all-time highs. And I think that's why, you know, me, you, and Uncle Chris all, well, me, me and you, and Uncle Chris, we still use his investment philosophy in our investments, is why we work so well together is because we have so many different arrays of experience. And I think you and Uncle Chris have always provided cautionary tales of what can happen, right. as well as the optimism that I've never seen really major pullback since, you know, we've had COVID. But um, with just the increase of technology, the pullbacks have been so fast. And then, you know, I mean, think of it. We, we returned to all-time highs in, what, 15 months? We doubled off the bottom in 15 months since right. March 23rd, which is amazing. So, you know, I think it's a... I don't know where I kind of got this uh, idea. I think you were talking about, you know, everything closing at all-time highs. But, you know, I think as – well, that's what I was getting at. As you close towards all-time highs, people look at things to worry. You know, it's almost like when the market's at all-time highs, it's like a first-world problem mentality. It's like you start talking about regulation. You start talking about things that might affect something just because they're at all-time highs. And I think that's kind of what's happening. 
Uh, and, and, you know, and I, and I, I, get, I get on these things, and I forget who was in here the other day, but uh, I often talk about, hey, you want me to build you a shed? And you kind of repeated that, like mocking me. It's good nature yeah. to mocking me, but I, I, that's what I say to people. You know, if you've got a, if you've got a portfolio of mean stocks, uh, and that's the example that I use is like building a shed, um, you don't want a portfolio of mean stocks because they don't have stability. They don't have balance. They don't have, you know, uh, sustainability. Yeah. Um, as opposed to like a house that does. And I think that, you know, one of the things I've been saying lately is that you can't, it's a, you might, you might be able to, I might be able to tell you, if I were to tell you interest rates were to go from 1.75 to 1.25%, 50% of the people might say it would help the market. Let's say 50% of the people say it might hurt the market. And we'll talk about why later, but even if you got that right, you're going to present it with an, another question well, what if interest rates then go from 1.25% to 1.37% overnight, which is what they did on Friday? What do you think that would happen? And my point is, is that we, we might know what's going to happen. We just don't know investor response to that event. And I, and I think that's so true right now, too, is because I think the market in general and investors are literally just looking at interest rates and inflation. And that's their only metric with growth to value. Right. Know, but I think as as it becomes, as we, I guess, get longer into this um, investment strategy, you're not seeing the fluctuations in the market as you were two months ago when, you know, uh, interest rates went to like, what, one point seven in the 1.7s and people got really, really nervous. But now you're seeing like still, you know, 10, 20 basis points moves daily or, you know, over a week. And people are kind of, people just need to get used to things sometimes. And it being a way of life. And I think that's kind of what the market said this week is, you know what, every single major industry was up. Right. Yeah, in the Russell 2000, essentially. And I think that's kind of what you saw. Now you're seeing volatility in interest rates. But as long as they don't go to a place where you actually have to start thinking of, hey, would my money be better in bonds at 2 3 3%? But, I mean, even if you hit the 2% mark, it's hard for me to believe that people will buy bonds over, you know, nice dividend-paying companies that can add some capital growth. Well, and that, that fear of missing out, and there is no alternative kind of colliding here. Yeah. Uh, as long as the market maintains its relative strength, as long as the chart's moving from the lower left to the upper right, rather than, vice, rather than you know, upper to lower, um, I think there's still potential for the market. I think the risk is being out of the market. We said that over and over again, but we certainly said that in our weekly snapshot that we put out to all of our clients. And, and those who want it, please feel free to uh, email us at faganasset.com. We'll be happy to uh, send you a copy of it. And that's kind of one of the things that we talk about. As long as that the, the market's – pardon me? All right. Let's take a break here. We'll be back for more of the Fagan Financial Report. We're having some technical difficulties. Good morning, welcome back to the second half hour of the Capital Districts Money and Investment Program. You're the second half hour. I told we never take a break. Good morning, welcome back to the Capital Districts Money and Investment Program. You're listening to the Fagan Financial Report. Aaron and Dennis Fagan taking your calls. 1-800-TALK-WGY, 1-800-825-5949. Mom was saying you just repeat this in your sleep sometimes, huh. like when you're sleep talking. Like, Welcome back. Right. 
that's what I say. Welcome to the Guys Lounge. We rarely have a break. Uh, we kind of go go right through the show, but uh, so I, I am like a, a parrot, so to speak. But we're talking before we had a technical difficulty. That ticking noise that Zach said the listeners were hearing. I apologize for it. That you can predict what's going to happen. You just can't predict investor response. What's going to happen? And we saw that this past week with the tenure going from you know, down to 1.24% and then snapping back on Friday to 1.37%. What had been a headwind related to the stock market was rising interest rates. Uh, and yeah. what became a headwind was falling interest rates. Because if interest rates fall too far, that usually portends a bad economy. So as interest rates came down to 1.5, 1.4, 1.3, all of a sudden when they got below 1.3, 1.25 actually was the 200-day move in the average on a 10-year. Yeah, really you started to really worry. Think of that in, in terms of a stock percentage. Move. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like people like to assume risk is just in the stock market, but it's in the bond market now more than ever, in my opinion, which just with the volatility of our treasuries, as well as, you know, having to go out on the risk spectrum if you are a growth and income investor. You know, that, you know, you have to go to, to get some sort of yield. You have to go to preferreds or... Yeah, like the fallen angel ETS or, or, or some sort of junk bond, in, in quotation. And, and even junk, that, junk bond. you know, even that's coming with some issues, the fallen angel ETF. The, the issue with that is, is that the, the real yield on that is below the, the rate of inflation. Now, and, yeah, that's a, But inflation is artificially high, I think. Yes, know? I agree. Uh, so, so we'll see where that takes us. But for now, for now, I'm liking the setup of the market. I like liking the setup of the market going into – um, earnings. You know, we kick off yeah. earnings season. A lot of the big banks, from J.P. Morgan to Wells Fargo to Citigroup to Bank of America, BlackRock, uh, Morgan Stanley reports. So the big U.S. bank or the banks, big brokerage firm Schwab reports on on Friday, I believe. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, I, I don't think, you know, I don't think that earnings will earnings will be enough to support the market at this level. We'll see if there's a catalyst. I think so, too. Yeah. So. I think yeah. I think this is kind of a healthy. I think we're in kind of a healthy point of the market right now. Like, I think interest rates and inflation are actually helping the market in general over the long term, not getting too um, overheated. Right. So I think the unknown, unknowns of the market and people not knowing, you know, what the next six to 12 months have in store are going to be very good for the market in the long term. Yeah, I agree. Help it not go parabolic. I agree. It's like that rolling correction that we've seen yeah. at quite quite a number of events now. It seems like the mid caps are being hit a little bit. The transports are being hit, hit a little bit. The transports, which had rocketed out of the COVID low and then the potential for reopening in the fourth quarter and the first quarter of this year, uh, transports last uh, set a closing high two months ago, May 7th, at 15,943. You know, your rails, your truckers, your airlines and the like. Uh, now are down about seven or eight percent off their all-time high. Transports closed Friday down at fourteen thousand eight forty-two, so about eleven hundred points off their all-time high, which equates to, like I said, about about seven percent. Uh, closed down one ninety-three for the week, so down one point three percent. So those there's that rolling, that healthy correction. It's almost like the Peloton, you know what I mean, where you got to see bicyclists and somebody leads and then somebody yeah. falls behind, falls behind it. It gives the 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 the, uh, the cyclists at large, the, the broader peloton, so to speak, uh, more strength and more power yeah. to move forward. Well, why don't you take a look at the market in general, and we can we can comment along the way. If you yeah, as you know, it's been a really good week in the market. You know, uh, 
Not every day was good, though, and I think we'll consistently see that, you know, up days and down days. So, yeah, what, out of the four days the market was open, two were up, two were down. And um, we finished, you know, all major indices in the positive. But, yeah, yeah, the Dow was up 83.81 this week. It closed at 37.870, which is 0.24% for the week and 13.93% uh, for the year. S&P was up 17.21% to close at 4,369 up 0.4% for the week, up 16.33% for the year. NASDAQ up 62.59, goes at 14,701, um, up 0.43% for the week. So, yeah, we're seeing some, I guess, S&P and NASDAQ were kind of similar, up 14.07% for the year. Um, total market up 112.98, goes at 45,491, up a quarter percent, up 15.99% for the year. Russell was down a little bit, down about 1%, still up about 15.5% for the year. Utilities were up 0.95%, so about 1%, up 3.42% for the year. And transport, you know, down for the week about 1.29%, but still up about almost 19% for the year. So it's more of the same. Yeah, I think that's kind of what we're, what we're seeing, really. It's like more of the same that we've kind of have seen all year. There's weeks that... It just yeah, it seems like things are kind of um, taking a step back, like the Russell that that has done really well, and um, you know, but it seems like it's mostly based on interest rates and inflation. Yeah, that's concern. Yeah, that's the economic concern. data that comes out is kind of the driving factor with the performance of the major indices. I think you know, COVID becomes a concern from time to time. Variants become a concern. Uh, it seems like the major vaccine manufacturers, you know, Pfizer, Johnson, Johnson, and Moderna seem to have, seem to, you know, state, not seem to state, they state that uh, their vaccine and along with perhaps a booster will, you know, keep America and I, healthy. And I, and, I, and I believe that very, very much so. I would, any, we, any weakness on variants, I would probably be a buyer of stocks. As I mean, if we came out with a vaccine in less than a year, I mean, now we have the base of a vaccine and we have the fundamentals, I guess, of a vaccine. I don't think it's going to be that difficult to fight variants. But then you have to look at India. You have to look at Brazil. You have to look at, you know, emerging market countries that could, you know, be affected by this as we're such a global economy now. So that's the only thing I would be nervous about with, you know, variants is um, not U.S. based, but, you know, yeah, we're in a global economy now. Right. And that's the thing that you look at is if you, if you think about interest rates as they come out this week, not interest rates, excuse me, earnings as they come out this week, I'm always a type of person. And, you know, I think, I think, and I, I may be wrong, I'm not, please don't accept, consider this an insult to other religions, but I think it's, from growing up, I think it's like a, a Catholic thing that you're always looking for the worst thing to happen. Maybe it's not. Please call in if it's not. Then you think, oh, no, we were like that. We were Protestant or this or that. But it seems like all, all the time you're kind of looking for the negatives. And maybe that's just my personality, actually, nothing else. <laughs> the truth religion. You know, it's religion. Right. right. That, yeah. uh, but I do think if, if, you, if you take care of the downside, the upside will take care of itself. Yeah, I you agree. Know? Yeah. So, who do you got, Zach? Jim. Let's go to the phones, then. Let's go to Jim. Good morning, Jim. You're on the air. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um we, um, two and a half years ago, um, basically liquidated our bond assets and purchased CDs. Um, at that time, I could get 3.5% uh, on my CDs. I could not get that on short-term bonds. 
Um, so as you can foresee, coming the end of the year, it's uh, we have about uh, 350,000 in CDs right now that are coming due uh, somewhere between the middle of December through the middle of January. Um, mm-hmm. And my question is, you know, part of this is for the balancing the portfolio. Part of it is I do um, cash out a, a portion of that every six months to kind of supplement our incomes. We're doing well income-wise, but this is just a little bit extra uh, that we put in uh, put into the cash flow. So question for you is, you know, I do have a bunch of the high-dividend um, mutual funds right now that are doing extraordinary. In fact, uh, the equity side of the portfolio was running away from the cash side. Um, I do need to rebalance that. But uh, my question is, you know, where do I go? You know, short-term bonds still pretty poor. Uh, CDs, as you know, are astronomically poor. Uh, so I just, a little, just wanted to pick your brain a little bit and your thoughts. Great, Jim. Thanks. And I'm going to reiterate some of that for Aaron. You know, yeah, we're yeah, still yeah. setting up a studio, and he's got a, he can't hear it. So uh, Jim liquidated some bonds. Or excuse me, liquidated some. He had some CDs. They had about three and a half percent. Now they're coming due. Three hundred fifty thousand bucks to use it for asset allocation. Uh, he's got the, enough income without this, without the income from the CDs. It has the CDs kind of like as a balance to his portfolio. Has some higher dividend paying. Uh, funds, ETFs, and the like to go along. I was wondering, hey, where do you go for fixed income? You know, I think you have to just be diverse. You know, I think you have to kind of scale between, you know, the, the majority of your bond portfolio and sand, like some tips. What? I would treasure say tips. Treasure. Yeah, some treasure inflation. Yeah, and then I would kind of trust, you know, we like Loomis sales bond. We like, you know, even the Fallen Angels ETF. Um, double line. So I think you just kind of, this is the time to just be diverse in your fixed income. And I'd love to say, you know, I, well, we're talking about fixed income here. I'd love to just bring it to, to an equity side. Like, hey, maybe raise your portfolio. If you're 70% in the market, be 75 and just put, put your money in some Pfizer's and REITs of the world. So I think that's a decent idea also. Yeah, I would say, like, just to give you some uh, symbols along with those names, Jim, uh, uh, ANGL is a fallen angel ETF. Uh, LSBRX is a Loomis sales bond. They're risky though. That's like, and I think that's what people, you know, rightfully so. Is I think there's as much risk in the bond market, in corporate bonds especially, as there is in the stock market right now. You're not going to fall like you are in the stock market. No, you're not. But you know, Jim, I'll say to you too. Right now, I'm sitting on twenty percent. My wife and myself portfolio twenty percent cash. You can't do that for a client, but. You know, I think you've got to, like, it's either the stock market, some bonds, and I would hold a larger percentage in cash. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to always be invested. If you think of what's your potential return on those bonds, you know, let's say you go to, to some bonds, one, two, three percent, you know, I, I'd rather, I'd rather hold some cash. Right now, you know, maybe 70% in the stock market, 10% in bonds, and 20% in cash, or 70, 15, 15, something like that. I think I would. I think it would work. I think you could use some preferred stocks. PFF is a preferred stock ETF. The Bank of America has BAC plus M is a good one that has what the yield to worth is about oh, two and a quarter. Right. So that's a net, that's a, that's a decent one for some return. But I mean, I think I'm in a different era too. Is I've never seen decent bond returns in my entire adult life. Right, right. So it's hard to I guess for myself to be like, oh, three percent is good, you know, because I've never. 
or you know, three percent is probably the max I've probably seen in my working career. You've been here ten years. Yeah, and I've been here ten years. It's amazing, really. But I, I don't know if this is helping at all. <laughs> uh, I, actually, it's pretty confusing. <laughs> but talking right, about my history, I remember eleven percent uh, and twelve percent uh, dividends on CDs and bonds. You know, what was it? The thirty-year bond back in the seventies was paying like. 25%, you know, it's, uh, yeah. yeah, so it's, it, it's, it's kind of confusing. I do, I'm very happy with what the equity side of things have been doing. I'm just, you know, and just let me reiter, reiterate what you said. Um, you basically said that you would think that I should take 20% and just keep it in cash, you know, maybe like a money market account or something like that? And am I waiting for the dividends to recover or waiting for the bonds to recover? Or what am I keeping that 20% I would, I would wait, out yeah. waiting for? I would wait for interest rates to tick up a little bit. To, to, I mean, if you, look at, if you look at the 10-year, we only got a couple minutes before the break, but if you look at the 10-year Treasury note before COVID, uh, let me just punch it up here, 1231 of 19, the 10-year was 192, now it's 137. More importantly, the two-year Treasury note was at 158, now it's at 0.23. There's no reason to believe the two-year Treasury note in, in this type of an economy, stronger than it was at the close of 19, you know, is, is yielding 0.23 when at the close of 19 it was 158. At the close of 18 it was 248, and we had come off a 25% a haircut in the, in the, in the Dow and S&P 500 in the fourth quarter of 18. So that's where I think your strength is going to be over time. Two, three, and five-year notes, I think, have to go up over the next one or two or three years. So let's say you take half of your bond money, put it into some of these names we mentioned or Aaron mentioned, take the other half and kind of leave in cash and hope for better times. Maybe you ratchet up your stock exposure by 5% or so and use the pseudo I'm not going to call them pseudo bonds because they can tumble as well, but, but the Pfizer's, the Johnson & Johnson's, the, the uh, Kinder Morgan's of the world, KMI. There's a couple of REITs, uh, Cone, C-O-N-E, the data center, Equinix, E-Q-I-X. Doesn't that much of a yield. You know? yeah. So maybe do some, do some things like that. But we got to go. Uh, we, got, we got the news coming up. It's great to talk. If you have any questions, feel free to email us during the week at faganasset.com or give us a call. We'll give you our... We are fiduciaries, so we'll give you an objective opinion on what you should do, Jim. Right now, it's 1030 on the station. You depend upon for news, weather, and information. News Talk 810 and 103.1 WGY. Good morning and welcome back to the second half hour of the Capital District's Money and Investment Program. You're listening to Fagan Financial Report. Dennis and Aaron Fagan taking your calls at 1-800-TALK-WGY, 1-800-825-5949. That is a free call. You know, I think one of the couple, obviously interest rates and inflation, Aaron, you mentioned earlier, is impacting the stock market uh, recently. And has a pretty great impact on the market. Uh, however, if you look at you know, the, the world of emerging markets, I think you have to then focus on, on China. And they're really beginning to lock down uh, the proliferation or the, or the, the data that's being uh, accumulated by some of these companies. And one of them specifically is that Didi Shuxing, uh, a ride-hailing company out of China, similar to, to Uber in the United States. And the Chinese government is, is afraid that... 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That too much data on individuals is going to be collected and then held outside the country. And then at some point in time let's say in a time of war used against the country so that against China, so that maybe the United States, God forbid, ever went to war with China is going to know where all the roads and bridges are in the country, where they're, uh, they they should know that by now anyway, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but yeah, you know, I like just in, I guess talking about Chinese stocks, I go back and forth all the time with owning Chinese companies. We got out of Alibaba. More or less, we we, got, yeah, we have, we about, have a little we have bit about a couple million dollars of clients who have huge capital gains in there, and, and we're holding on to them at least for now. And Alibaba, if you look at their earnings projected next year, let's say twelve bucks a share, they're trading at sixteen, seventeen times earnings as opposed. I to mean, and how market. many people live in China? Two one point five billion exactly. Yeah. And you know, it's so I go back and forth in China in my own, like just in my mind too. Is my whole dilemma is okay? You have China. And all their fundamentals, you can throw out the window. Throw their balance sheets, throw their cash flow statements, throw them out the window, and which is very worrisome, obviously. But you still need, um, I guess, some exposure to emerging markets. And if you go to an ETF, they're mostly based in China. 35% so, so of emerging tough. markets is China. So, you know, I think we've come to the conclusion of we own NEO for people. Right. Is I will invest in Chinese companies that are supported by the Chinese government. And I think NEO is one of them. And why is that? Because I think NEO, because China wants us to be, China wants to be competitive technologically with the first world, with the first world. So I think, I think China will put money behind companies that they think have the potential to rival a Tesla of the world. And I don't think that's necessarily a great, great way to invest or how we invest. But I think it's the best way to invest in emerging markets is if you have a dictatorship, a capitalistic dictatorship, you put your money behind companies that I think the Chinese government will support. I don't think that's the best way to invest. But, you know, I think NEO has potential. I think their technology is there. And I think the Chinese government is behind that. It has has, um, NEO as one of their companies. They had Alibaba for a while, but then they got almost too big. Right, I think the other side of that yeah. equation is, is a couple like Alibaba. China, the Chinese government, Xi Jinping at the helm, who was supposed to be termed out, and then I could change that maybe 10 or 15 years ago, so there are no terms in China for the presidency, a limited number of terms. Um, they want to be the big dog. Yeah. They want to be in control of everything. Uh, and so you invest in companies, in my opinion. Alibaba got too big. Right, they had they got bigger than, Jack Ma got bigger than the government. Exactly. So yeah, Jack Ma got bigger than Asia. Right. Where Alibaba had to expand outside of Asia. Neo is still in the smaller area where they can, I guess, it, take advantage of the Asian market still, grow their customer base before they have to expand to Europe and in America, essentially. Right. And I think that's where you can find some value 
in in in, in Chinese companies. But at the same time, it, it, they're, they're just very. And, and when I'm saying we invest in Neo, uh, just looking at our, our sheet right it's here, about forty thousand shares. Forty thousand shares. So I mean, we have. 0.4% of our of, of our stock in it. So you know where we where we take shots is where we don't think people will get too hurt by it if it pulls back. You know, yeah, well, our one percenters as we call it. But you know, if I'm investing in in Chinese companies, it's it's ones that I think have potential inside of Asia and don't have to go outside of I guess the Asian economy yet. Yeah. One eight hundred talk WGY one eight hundred eight two five five nine four. I just talked a little bit about you know, emerging markets on a broad, in a broad sense, and then um, China uh, on a smaller sense. But if you look at emerging markets in general, Aaron, I think if if you look at a completely transparent, I don't even know if there's a completely transparent emerging market anymore, really. You know, no. uh, you look at China, you look at Brazil, you look at uh, some other countries. Uh, I don't know if Taiwan, Singapore, if they're considered emerging markets or not anymore. Uh, certainly they are. Yeah, we can certainly. Yeah. I believe the Taiwan semi, there's huge companies within these emerging markets. And they're building, Taiwan's building a, uh, a factory in Arizona. Well, right. So, yes. And then, so my, my concern with China is, is the horse out of the barn also. I think the United States, and I've said this, I've said it over and over again, I think President Trump did a lot of good things. Uh, one of them, in my opinion, was going after China without our, our major trading partners. Literally. That's a bad thing, you think? Yeah, I think it was a bad thing. The but, EU, the yeah. UK, and Canada. But him going after China was a good thing. Yeah, I, exactly. I agree. But I agree. Yeah, right. but you, I mean, I think you put it perfectly. It's like bringing, it's like going to a bar fight, picking a, a fight with the biggest guy in the bar and, and pissing, off your, or right, right, pissing right. off your friends before it. Right, exactly. You know? So I think, yeah, I think going after China was the right thing, just not bringing our allies along was the wrong, wrong thing. I agree. So I think that enabled China to make inroads into Europe, and now President Biden's trying to repair that a little bit. And I, this is not a, this is not, I'm not going to take calls yeah. over political over President Trump, was this right or wrong? Yeah, going after China was right. In our opinion, it was, uh, it, it's let China have a little more control over our trading partners. It's also created doubt with our, our major trading partners as to the, the state, the, the, the uh, I guess, the, the, the stickiness of our relationship. It was never yeah. a question before, us and Germany, us and, and France, us and – and when that comes into question, almost like if your spouse has an affair on you, it's just never yeah. the same again. And, you know, and, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm pretty politically agnostic, but, you know, I think some of the, the things Trump did was right in terms of economically of being taken advantage of, you know. I agree. And I do agree with that, but it's about, you know, you have to – you have to have priorities. Like in business, we have priorities. Right. What, what, what do we have to fix first, second, third, fourth, fifth? You know, China was number one, and we should have, in my opinion, yeah, gone after China first and then figured out, you know, NAFTA, things like that. NAFTA, you know? yeah. yeah, right, exactly. And they figured out also, uh, you know, uh, I forget what sort of big arms, uh, our arms uh, alliance, I don't know. It's there. It's there right in the tip of my tongue. I can't believe it. I can't remember. But anyway, so that's that's kind of where we are now. And uh, so I think you just got to be careful. The China came out and then, you know, Didi Shuxing and basically said, and, and it's also a question now as to, I, maybe the Chinese government is just angry with Didi for listing in the United States versus Hong Kong. You know, I don't know. Well, which is messed up if you think about it, too, because Hong Kong is not China. You know what I mean? Well, yes. 
And that's what, that's a huge fear too. It's like now we're just going to let, I don't know, even Taiwan's now essentially China, Hong Kong's China. It's a, you know, I don't know. It's just a, a, a sticky situation really. Uh, China in general. Right. It is. And, yeah. and so I think as, as an investor, which you've got NATO, North, yeah, North American Trade, North Atlantic Treaty yeah. Organization. I don't know how I got off my tongue, but so so I think right now I think you've got to be careful about investing in China. You've got to be a little careful about investing in emerging markets. Um, and which, what are we? What would you say we're international? I can see right here, five percent, five percent total international. Maybe, we have well, some, we have Europe. We five have five to six percent. Right? Yeah, and you have to to be to have a diverse portfolio. You do, but and we uh, on an international weighting overall. Um, uh, let me just punch it up here. I think we're yeah, not, not even that. Maybe five percent of our overall 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 accounts are international, and maybe three or four percent of our. And we've been picking up international a little bit lately, like FCHF, just just for diversity too. You know, you know, our, our largest holding overseas is the Schwab Emerging Markets Fund. Followed by the Schwab International Equity, both both growth uh, ETFs. We have IOO. Our largest is a iShares Global 100 ETF. That's that IOO. IOO. Yeah. Followed by the Schwab Emerging Markets Fund, this is SCHE. Uh, then is followed by the Schwab International Equity Fund. So those are our three largest international holdings, and, and then they go down substantially. And for the most part, we use international ETFs as. You know, it's hard to evaluate emerging market company ads. You know, you just never know. Well, it's like when Jim called and he said he kind of uses them for diversification. Yeah. You know, in my opinion, uh, I think the IOO, which is the largest 100 companies in the world, publicly traded companies in the world, is probably your best bet um, because it'll combine uh, emerging with with uh, emerging markets with the emerging economies with developed economies, and then. America, yeah, America, America Central, well. yeah. So I think it's a really nice holding, the symbol of IOO. And also the, the top the top 10 holdings in that are Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, yeah. JP Morgan, Johnson, Johnson. But then you get once you get lower, you go to Samsung, you go to Procter & Gamble. Okay, yeah. Uh, you get down to Roche Holdings, which is a, a, I think it's a Dutch company, Novartis, Toyota. So that's a, that's a nice way to go there if you want some international diversification. In fact, that's a great uh, ETF for like a passive investor, but you can also got to ask yourself, all right, with China, you know, the U.S. market capitalization, China is the second largest country in the world by market capitalization of publicly traded companies. So you, you can't you can't shun it. Um, you can't shun it, uh, and I think Alibaba is probably a decent investment now. Didi is probably a decent investment now. Yeah, but you also want to worry. I, I I just worry about. Do we really do you really want to go there in general? I agree. But a couple of things also that that's going good going on um, in my mind this whole this whole value versus growth uh, type of investing and there was an article in Barron's this past week and, and it and it touched on uh, Bill Nigren from the Oakmark funds and you know we own a little bit of Oakmark not a heck of a lot. Uh, because it's too much of a value-driven style. Um, it, it says something like, let me take a look. As of July 2nd, the fund had a 15-year annual return of 11.3%, placing it in the top 2% of Morningstar's large-cap value category. It carries an expense ratio of 0.91% around average for the category. 
But my, my question is, my question is, I don't know why you, you pen yourself into either value or growth, but I will say is, is large largest five holdings are Alphabet, Capital One, Ally, Facebook, and EOG. And then comes Bank of America, Citigroup, Schwab, Comcast, and Gold. Well, he does a good job of taking the term value loosely. Which I like. Me too. Know. Yeah. And that's, you know, and I, I, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm a little bit younger, but I've never understood value versus growth in terms of things to invest in. I always think you invest in things that have value. You know what I mean? I know growth versus value is different, I guess, sectors, but you know, I, I it's. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Yeah. Well, it's also, value is also like a fundamentally bottoms up fundamental look at the company you know yeah that's with true some yeah. of the parts if we broke this company up what would it be worth if uh you know what's the price to earnings ratio what do we think the growth rate is so i think the value is more that side where the growth side of the equation is regardless of what the economy does this, this is yeah. right, more potential right and, and future more, longer day yeah. future right that's why when interest rates go up the uh value growth stocks go down because the probability of those future earnings go down in the, the future dollars could go down. Yeah. Right. So, but anyway, so that was one of the things that, you know, what I was thinking of is the whole value versus growth equation. Uh, I think it's going to remain, but you were saying earlier that I think you were, you were saying that, I, no, I think you were saying, you were saying that you think that that the, the value, I think you were saying the value versus growth battle is probably going to become more skirmishes in the future because that shot across the bow of higher interest rates that was met with value performing off growth severely is over. And the the debate, uh, the I mean, the fluctuation weekly in the interest rate movement is going to consist of maybe we'll just get used to it like we do though. Like the market just gets used to things too. So that's why I don't think you have to take you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Is that it? Yeah, a grain, grain of salt. salt. You know, it's like you know, the first time these interest rates moved up dramatically. Value outperformed significantly for about a month or two. Now, you know, interest rates did move up. They moved down. Now, I don't think you're seeing as much correlation between growth and value with interest rates as you were before. Well, because and- I think we have, a, I guess, a range of where we think interest rates are going to go. But I think if you hit the 2% mark, you might start to see, you know, maybe a switch to value again. But that's, that's an if. Well, I, I, right. That's definitely an if. And I don't think you can plan around it. I, I guess if the... If, uh, Millions of listeners to this show don't take anything else from this. It would be that it's it's the response to the incident that is is impossible to quantify, rather than the incident itself. And I think that's the thing that, and, and it's also most incidents. Like if you look at the move up in interest rates this year, era, from 0.94 to 1.74, very quickly, quite everybody by surprise. Yeah. Most, and I wouldn't even call that a black swan event. Most black swan events like 9-11, like um, the pandemic, catch everybody by surprise. So you would say, well, the pandemic shot the market down 35% in six weeks. And, and, and I think I had somebody, one person, one of our clients, and I said to them, well, would you have thought I would have snapped back like that? They said, oh, yeah, I definitely did. I think they're kidding themselves. My point is that even if 
So most incidents that drive the market sharply one way or another are unpredictable. And then, then subsequent incidents that pertain to the initial one are what you said, there, there are more shots across the bow that the, the investor response is impossible to, to calculate. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'm just looking at returns from the election day close. Like, it's, it's the seventh month of the year. We've been, go, we've been talking about growth versus value for seven months, and we're still up. The Dow is the least best performer up almost 27% since the election closed. So I wouldn't take, you know, it's like growth value, growth value. You know, the Nasdaq's up 32%. It's just, you know, it's, I, I think you have to kind of, I think it's all based on, you know, the, the media, really. It's like you kind of have to take a step back and say, hey, you know, the, the, the market's in good shape. And, you know, I wouldn't take any little piece of news that you hear too seriously, or think that something's too drastic. It's, you know, we always say work at the peripheries. Right. Now, if you're at 60 to 70% of the market, you know, and you're nervous about the market, go down to 60. Don't go all cash because you just never know what's going to happen. Well, it's also arrogant to say yeah. you know what's going to happen, you know, and you, and you know how the market's going to respond. I think we're beating it. Yeah. Horse. But yeah. So then, then if you say to yourself, okay, if the market's in decent shape, what could go wrong? Regulation risk. I think China. there is some regulations. China, China, kind of like flexing its military muscle, could go wrong. I think this regulation risk. This, this is angering me a little bit. So, uh, President Biden, Biden signed an executive order on promoting competition in the American economy. And one of the, one of the, over the past four decades, and this is what I, I hate statistics. So I hate how um, statistics are manipulated. Put it that way. I love statistics. And when he, on this. Um, it's a fact sheet on the executive board on promoting competition in the American economy. It comes directly from the White House on Friday. Directly from the White House, only to me. I'm like, kid. There's over the, on banking and consumer finance, it talks about competition. It's over the past four decades, the United States has lost 70% of the banks it once had with around 10,000 bank closures. Okay. Since when? Over the past four decades, over okay. 40 years. So nowhere does it say how many banks there are. And how many banks are bought out. Right. Or, or is there competition? Well, there's 5,000 banks still in the United States, different yeah. banks, not branches, different banks. My guess is that's enough competition, right? Yeah. So that's one thing that angered me because don't tell me the United States has lost 70% of its banks without telling me how many are left. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's one thing. The second thing I would say, oh, it's like saying, oh, my gosh, uh, whatever, example, lack of competition in Internet services. Lack of competition among broadband providers. More than 200 million U.S. residents live in an area with only one or two reliable high-speed Internet providers. All right, so the average cost of Internet service is 60 bucks a month. All other are optional add-ons. So that's still a pretty good rate. So I don't know if you – I don't know if the, what do you think? Is the government more concerned with competition, or, is there, or are they more concerned with limiting, limiting the size of companies? I think the government's just concerned with how they, how they look to their constituents. Yeah. So, that's, that's literally all I think they care about. Oh, Google's getting too big. Let me, you know, go on C-SPAN and say what I think the people in my county want to hear. That's what I think. So I think it's easy for Google to get, you know, you see trillion-dollar market caps, two trillion. I mean, it's just an easy. It can, they're just easy sectors to make yourself look better in. I agree. And, and, you politics. Know, and that is going to get worse. And you always and see and that too. It's like the past. I mean, since I've been working here. It's, I, mean, I, don't t I can't tell you how many times I've seen Tim Cook or 
Mark Zuckerberg, you know, testifying in front of whatever. And it's just every single politician just wanting to have a little clip saying, you know, you guys are too big. You guys, your minimum wage is whatever. It's like, it's just all for, for show, in my opinion. But I, that is, could be true. But I do think that self-fulfilling prophecy, too. Right. There's, there, I think there needs to be more competition. I think real wage growth, which is after inflation wage growth, has been minimal for, you know, you talk about the, the K-shaped economy and the pandemic where a lot of Americans are not, a, a lot are doing better, but many, many more are doing worse. And I, yeah, and I think that, too, I think Bill Ackman said that, too. It's like, let's not, like, wage growth and, you know, the, the disparity between income inequality, it could be a black swan event. Yeah. You know, and I think people forget that, too. It's like, you know, that could be an event that triggers a 20, 30 percent pullback in the market if if things kind of get, well, if you, I guess, out of hand. A in bit. reality, if you were to say what led to, to, to President Trump's popularity and what led to uh, really the 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 events at the Capitol on January 6th, it really probably goes back 20 years to just a lack of wage growth for both rural poor and urban poor. But what did he do for rural well, poor? Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying yeah. that that's what's led to led to the to populism, not yeah. only in the United States, but probably abroad. Oh, abroad, so, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So there needs to be some changes in, tech, in, in, in technology. And I do think that like Amazon has more of an ability to keep wages in check because they're so large. Walmart with, and, and I don't hear Walmart when, when you talk about um, regulation. I don't see Walmart listed anywhere, no. and they 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 employ many no, times the workers yeah. that 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 Amazon does. So I, I guess so that that could so you you said regulation uh, could upend the markets, in, in, not upend the markets, but you I, I think kind of more more so just provide a headwind. Yeah, yeah. Walmart has one two point two. Million Americans work for them. Amazon one point two. One point two now. So, anyways, what else you got for me? Say something smart. Say something like people are gonna. Dry Mets are gonna win the World Series. Nice. That's really smart. I hope so. We're starting to hit. They now, are. I know the Mets are starting to hit now. We got beat yesterday. When is the uh, when's the All Star games coming up? Right? Wasn't the home run derby last night? Was it last night? No, Mets played yesterday. Yeah. Well, it's coming up. It's, it's it? coming up over the next two or three days. We always, always used to be at um. Green Mountain Basketball Camp. Yeah, we used to watch the uh, home run derby at the Green Mountain Basketball Camp. Yeah, that every, every you get year. that night off. Yeah. From playing basketball. Watch Space Jam. Yeah. Space Jam. There it is. Um, so, so here we, 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 as we move into the second half, I would consider myself confident in a limited downside. Um, confident in a limited downside. I am too. You know. I think the biggest headwind was the the volatility of interest rates, and now I think the this the first half of the year we've gotten used to it. I think a lot of the market is just people getting used to something. I think we're getting used to the volatility in, in the interest rate in interest rates. Um, if we start hitting the two percentage, I think you, you could start seeing some, um, I guess, worrisomeness in the in the growth stocks. But you know, I'm I'm very I'm pretty confident in the market. Market's downside right here. Well, and I don't think and the move to 174 in the 10-year, in my opinion, didn't grease the skids again for a quicker move. You know, and I think there's a lot, there's a lot of technical reasons for the move, a lot of supply demand, global supply demand, central bank Japan equations for the move from 175 to 125. So I don't think I don't think the 10-year is going to 
you know, race back up to 175 again, because I think now it's going to be, there's going to be some doubt as to the sustainability of the recovery and where interest rates ultimately go and the like. But so I do think it's going to be a struggle back up there uh, rather than just a race back like we saw earlier in the year. We had the 10-year go from 0.94 to 1.74 in about four months, three and a half months. So I think it's going to it would take a lot longer this time. But And, yeah, to, to close, next, the next thing I'm worried about is, you know, in September when people start, start getting, you know, government money and, um, the world really starts getting back to normal. I think you could see some, I guess, volatility, and because there will be unknowns. Market does not like unknowns, True. and I think that's the next, you know, time we're going to see some um, drastic <coughs> unknowns in the market. That's it. Have a great day. Feel free to give us a call at five one eight two seven nine ten forty four. Check us out on the web at bigandasset.com or like us on Facebook. Take care and have a great day. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.